Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206-451-4220. I'm Maria Metzler, the Executive Director of Helpline House. The global pandemic has affected us all differently. If you or your neighbors need food assistance, mental health counseling, rental assistance, or parks and rec vouchers, please reach out. Helpline House can help in many ways. Find us on the web at helplinehouse.org. It's what we do. Neighbor helping neighbor. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. wearing your Eastside jersey under your Patagonia? That was supposed to be the big reveal. Uh, too, too late. <laughs> <laughs> no, keep it on. We'll do it anyway. We'll, we'll fake the funk. Okay, we'll fake, we'll fake the surprise. I got another surprise for you too. Okay, hold on. I'm bringing, I'm gonna, I have an old Eastside jersey that matches that. I'm going to grab it out of my closet. Nice. Sounds good. Oh, that, oh, so crisp, so white. Oh, look at that. Nice. <laughs> I knew we were on the same page. That's right. I have a hard time of letting sentimental things go. So I've got a couple boxes of just random tidbits throughout life that I just can't throw away. You shouldn't. Over COVID, it was like, go through the garage and try and weed out what you can. And I managed to narrow it down to one nice big box and... And this made the cut. Beautiful. I'm so <laughs> glad to hear that. Yeah, I've saved every thank you card that any kid has given me. Uh-huh. And after 18 years of coaching, that's quite a file cabinet. <laughs> but, um, you know, there was time where I think I planted 20 trophies in the garden. Just like between tomato plants, just... Yeah. Cause I was just like, this is ridiculous. Why do I keep these things? Um, they had zero meaning and those cards and pictures and stuff like that have a lot of meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Cards are, are a tough thing to let go. Cause you never know when you're going to look back on them and, and they'll mean even that much more. Yeah. And now everything's like a digital, digital card where in, unless you print that picture out, it's just on your phone or in your timeline or whatever. And, I watch these uh, HGTV shows with my wife, um, Ellie. I think you know her. Yeah. Um, she wants to pop on later in between meetings. Um, 
about decluttering and what really has value. And we hang on to a lot of things that are sentimental, but we don't display them or take care of them. They're in a box in our garage. Mm-hmm. So really how important are they and how, how much are we really giving them their due? So, you know, majority of that stuff needs to be tossed in the garbage. <laughs> you know? Or they come in handy in times like this. My mom has always, you bring up the pictures. My mom has always been really good at keeping photo albums uh, throughout our entire lives. We can pick any month of any year and go back and have a physical copy in my parents' house. And so I've thought about that now, you know, especially with my daughter is I want her to have a spot where she can go on the bookshelf and pull out that photo album and see, you know, whatever life was like when she was, you know, at this point, we're coming up on two years old. So um, that is a goal. (laughs) And I'm so far, I'm doing okay on it. So yeah. Like, like Vinny was born in Kentucky. We were only there for a quick minute, basically, to have him and get up, get back here. <laughs> um, but I need to kind of express what Kentucky was like back then to him. And hopefully those books he'll pick up on his shelf later in life and say, oh, maybe I want to go check it out. Not that Kentucky is anything special. Part of the story, though. Part of yeah. The- Kentucky Lucky. There you go. All right. How much time you got? What time do you go to bed? Three o'clock or what? <laughs> no, I'm a big girl. I go to bed at, at like 730. Oh, my God. And <laughs> what about um, Riley? Does she Riley, go to bed at 730? <laughs> she does. Yeah, we're kind of on the on the same timetable, which works out really well. It's, you know, it, in the news business, you end up working all kinds of crazy shifts, um, particularly if you're an anchor and there are some exceptions. You either work from three o'clock in the morning until noon or two thirty in the afternoon until eleven thirty at night because you got the morning shows and the evening shows. Um, and so right now I've been doing this morning shift for some time. So uh, the really the good perk of it though, though people give me a lot of grief for waking up at two and going to bed at seven thirty, is that I'm I'm home by noon every day, and mm. uh, that means usually I have an entire afternoon to do what I need to do, play with my daughter, hang out with her, uh, go get my car fixed like I did earlier this afternoon, uh, and join a podcast like this. So the night ends early, but you do have the option at least if you really wanted to stay up you have the option to, I mean, you'll pay for it the next day, but it's not all that bad if, if you can adjust. And I've always been a morning person, not that 2 a.m. is morning by any means, but <laughs> it, it has its perks. Yeah, I'm sure it helps your health as well with um, your circadian rhythm and, and sleep and, and such like that. Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty militant about getting my Z's too. Some people are pretty good at, at pushing it to the limit. I just don't operate that way. I like my sleep. What can I say? All right. Let's talk about it, Tom Brady. Go, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that, that guy is impressive. Yeah. So are you, man. I haven't talked to you for a long time. I think, um, what well, was it, a couple of times? You're talking about um, volunteering as a soccer coach one time and you reached out. Mm-hmm. Another time, you know, I was starting to hear your voice on the radio in my car. <laughs> and then I started understanding what social media was a little bit. And you were one of the early people that I saw that I knew that was 
kind of embracing it early on. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I was like not putting two and two together. And I turned on the TV and I was, what? (laughs) And then I text you and you text me right back. Uh And I was thinking, this is live on TV. Why are you messing with a phone right now? You just had that ability to multitask and and do things. And I was just like, okay. I (laughs) know. Putting it all together. (laughs) Yeah, we we hit those good weather blocks that gives you a good chunk of time to uh, send a quick text or something. But multitasking, I'm not saying it's always the best thing to do, but it's something I can't can't resist doing. Well, what, what caught me... Like you came up in my feed one time and you were horsing around with like FaceTime Live or something while you were on air and you were holding it by your, your chair, mm-hmm. kind of just embarrassing the people that you were working with and uh, trying to get them to talk. And I was laughing so hard. And then you put put it down like, I'm not on my phone at work on TV. Mm-hmm. So I thought, hey, that's so cool that you're so confident and playful and, and the Kelly I remember. <laughs> yeah, it's um yeah, you know, it's been a long time since I've seen you and and talked to you, but it's just so great to see you doing this podcast and you know, the magic of social media is that you get to kind of peer in on on some people's lives while also having the ability to connect and just make sure that everyone's doing all right. So it's been great to see everything go on in your life too. Uh it's so funny because I I came to Como in 2012 and it's bizarre coming home because you hear from all different kinds of people. I heard, I've heard from middle school teachers or friends of my parents who remember me as a kid who kind of come out of the woodwork and then people sound somewhat surprised if, you know, that they're paying attention or, or respond, uh, but as you know, it means a lot to us too to be coming home, and and we like connecting with people who were important to us when we were younger. Uh, it's just a, it's a very unique thing coming home and working in your home market. Yeah, you know, to be truthful, I never knew you left, and <laughs> <laughs> I need to bring the listeners up to speed. Sure. Um, you went to Bellevue High School, correct? I went to Newport High School. Newport. Yep, not far okay. from Bellevue. My husband went to Bellevue though. Oh, so he over there. I just didn't know it. All right. You got your phone near you? I do. Yeah. I got a little surprise for you. Okay. Oh, I've received a text message from Timothy Self. Oh, my goodness. Yep. I remember that guy. That looks like the same guy sitting right in front of me right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Newport uh, High School right there. Yep, Newport High School right there. That's a good, that's an oldie, but a goodie. Did Lynn Koopman hook you up with that? Your beautiful mother, Lynn Koopman, did hook me up with that. You know, it goes back to that photo album she has. It's too handy. Yeah. Um, how's your sister? Um, sister's doing well. That's my, in that photo, that's my older sister, Heather. And mm-hmm. she's had a whirlwind of a uh, uh, pandemic time she met a guy just as the pandemic started he he had a boat and it's a small boat and they spent about four months together on this very small boat uh 
living and working together and uh, they just have been together ever since. Now they're on this great grand adventure of um, taking a boat from Florida down through the Panama Canal and up back to Seattle. So she's starting her own great grand adventure, which <laughs> is really fun for her to see. And um, it's great. Yeah, I remember her as being very outgoing and a huge supporter of her little sister. <laughs> yeah, she still is. That's awesome. Hey, so bring me up to speed. You went, you went to Wazoo after um, playing soccer with me on the east side. And um, that was against the grain, if I remember correctly. Very much was. Yeah, I was kind of, uh, I, I don't know if I would call it rebel of the family, but somewhat black sheep in that regards. I wasn't necessarily the greatest student when I was younger. Um, I just, you know, I cared more about soccer and messing around with my friend over there and passing notes. Um, so school wasn't really something that I was a hundred percent focused on. Um, and so time goes on and it's like, Oh my good. Got to, get into college somewhere and got to figure this out. And yeah. so I uh, managed to get into Wazoo, which turned out to be a great experience. I met my husband there at the end of the day. Uh, he was a freshman. I was a sophomore. And that was, what, 15 years ago and uh, still great. Um, you and yeah. Michael have a baby in Riley now. She's adorable. Thank you. She's she's almost two. And um, we've just started telling people too, but the, the great news is we have another, we got number two on the way. That is, <laughs> thank you. That's due in July. So we're excited. We're excited about that. Congratulations. Uh, I'm excited for you too. Yeah. So the whole cougar thing worked out great. My whole family, they were all Huskies and, um, you know, I think it was it was hard on me when I was younger. I, I didn't necessarily get into UW, and I think I took that really personally. Um, and so, I don't know, maybe it's some sort of psychological thing that I've always kept trying to prove to myself, you know, I I can do it, I, I can learn, I can, you know, try and make up that part of me that felt like there was something that my family did that I wasn't able to do as a kid. Mm-hmm. And boy, have you. You've gone on to additional studies from Wazoo, correct? Yeah, I did. I finished up at the Edward R. Murrow College of Communication at WSU. And I just felt like I needed a little bit more. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I was studying PR just because I thought it sounded like something that I'd be able to get a job in someday. And I had always watched news. I liked current events, but the thought of actually finding a job as a journalist, let alone using video and broadcast journalism as it would turn out to be. Mm -hmm. um, it just didn't sound like that would be something I'd be able to do. It sounded like a job right. too cool, you know, so I, I would settle for something that I thought sounded a little more practical. Um, but then my junior year, I ended up getting an internship through a crazy turn of events um, that really just comes down to people being kind and giving a kid, a, cutting a kid some slack and giving me a break. Um, and so did that internship and I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. I poured myself into it that final year of college and then decided I, I wanted a little bit more before I entered the workforce. So uh, applied to grad school, ended up going to Columbia's journalism school 
in New York City, which is about a year with long program. So did that. That's and awesome. Then, and then it was kind of like, what do you do now? So you put together DVDs of whatever work you did in college and grad school and nail yeah. yep, yep, the reels, mail them out all over the country. And uh, Eugene, Oregon called me within three or four days. And I'm not saying you should take my approach and not do any research, but I just said, first come, first serve. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it turned out to be a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, they hired me as a weekend editor and then a three-day-a-week reporter. So Saturday, Sunday, my job was whatever video is coming into the station, edited up to 30-second video clips to match the scripts. Mm-hmm. No thoughts, um, just pretty much edit whatever video goes into the show. And then um, three-day-a-week, I would just report, so go out and do stories. And then over time small stations, there's a lot of turnover, either people leave or um, they get out of the business or move on to larger markets. And through that uh, crazy chain of events, I managed to leave as the main anchor at KVAL in Eugene. And uh, the news director of Fisher at that time, uh, the regional news director was down in Eugene and she liked what she saw one night and asked me if I wanted to come up to Seattle and and that's kind of where I've been ever since. So it was a, a crazy turn of events that, you know, I really wouldn't, I wouldn't change. Yeah. It's, there's kind of been a history with Kathy Gertson and um, who's the other lady? Well, you were with Grant Goodeve for a while and he has two daughters that played soccer like you. Um, Kathy Gertson, Susan Hutchins. Susan, Susan Hutchison worked yeah. at another station. Um, but the big ones uh, at Como when I was there was, you know, Kathy Gertson and Dan Lewis and Steve Poole and Eric Johnson. Guy, guy. You no, know, they're like this legacy juggernaut yeah. team. Um, and I started in 2012, just two months before um, Kathy passed. Um, and, you know, we have some amazing people who have worked there, mm-hmm. worked there since, but I did never get to meet Kathy, which was, um, you know, kind of a bummer. Cause I'd always, I'd always looked up to her, but when- yeah, it's kind of a legacy of, uh, blonde female anchors in and, Seattle and Cougs. Yeah. And Cougs, yeah. At WSU, they ended up naming one of the buildings after her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was very honored to go there and just speak, a little bit before it. So I feel like there's, there's a connection there. Oh, uh, for sure. Really can't speak enough about, you know, what it's meant to join an amazing crew of people uh, mm-hmm. who work there in years past and, and who still work there. All right. You did some uh, reporting in New York for a while too, didn't you? Yeah, that was part of, that was part of grad school. Oh, okay. uh, we just go around the city and shoot various stories, whether print video or kind of, audio. We did a lot of radio stuff too. And then my internship that I just briefly mentioned was also in New York. It was at CNN with American Morning was the name of their morning show they had. They had back in 2008, 2008. What has happened to CNN? They seem very <laughs> biased now. And Well, it, you know, the, I will, cable news is definitely its, its own animal. It's, Do you it's think local animal. news and cable news need to be separated um, to some extent where 
cable news may have some type of agenda and local news is still trying to be unbiased? I, I think that's how it is right now. I mean, when you look at the major cable outlets, if you're looking at the Fox, the MSNBC, the CNN, you can definitely see that they're one way or another. And I would say either side is kind of dug in their heels. And yeah. done that. Um, locally, I mean, we don't do that and we do everything we can. People um, will have their own opinions of whether or not we do that accurately and that we're good about that. But I, I stand by everything that our newsroom does in terms of staying down the middle. We want to present the situation while being factual about it, you know, not being ignorant about what's happening, um, but presenting the news and then, you know, people kind of take it as it is, which has kind of been put to the test sometimes personally, um, mm -hmm. particularly over the course of the last year where there's, you know, you're still a human, you have, you have opinions, but it's really comes down to um, right. taking that out of it and just reporting the news as it is factually. Yeah, it's really tough. I named the podcast two and a half years ago, The Bystander, being B-I for mm -hmm. Bainbridge Island, because that's where I wanted to concentrate my news and journalism and stuff like that. Um, but also being, I could go either way, not sexually, <laughs> but depending <laughs> on the story, um, depending on who's telling me the story. Yeah. And as I go on, I'm finding myself more and more opinionated and lacking restraint and then having so many people jump into podcasting and YouTube news and, and putting their spin on it and stuff like that. There's a lot of opinions out there. And after I've started to notice that tried to dial back and say, where is the, the line of bipartisanism and non-bias reporting, and I find it harder and harder. Mm -hmm. um, how do you see news headed in the future? Well, one saving grace that I think is that people will always want information. Mm -hmm. Stuff is always going to happen in the world, and people are going to want to know about it. And I'm someone who's open to what that looks like. You know, if you take a decade ago, who would have thought of podcasting or live streaming over YouTube or Instagram or Facebook or websites, just all the different avenues that people can get their information. Um, so I see it that people are going to want to know what happens. And no matter the medium that that gets to people, that's still something that I would want to be a part of. It's going to change over time with how technology changes. Uh, but at the end of the day, I would hope that that would mean people were more informed. Uh, sure, you can go on either side and people are going to hone into and listen what they want to listen to. But I do think that there is an importance, particularly of local news, of people wanting to know what's happening in their community and how it fits into the greater tapestry of what's happening across the country. And I think between the coronavirus and social justice, you know, we've had these two huge stories playing out over the course of the last year, right here locally in our own backyard. And the same thing's been happening in a bunch of different cities all across yeah. the country, which I just think is so, you know, it's so fascinating. And what I love about it is that 
all of those different events are little milestones in history that are going to help shape what happens in the future. Um, so what I love about my job is getting to be part of that first draft, experiencing what is happening in the moment, putting in a perspective of what's happened in the past, and then kind of setting the stage for what we think happens next and just kind of, you know, going through life and experiencing history as it happens. I want to get your reaction about um, Chop and Chaz, Mm -hmm. but we need to take a quick break here to um, let the wife in. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly Koopman's what up? Hi, Ellie. How are you? Oh, my God. You're so adorable. Look, she's got her East Side jersey on. That's right. (laughs) You know what? I didn't even have to dig too much for it. These, you know, that's what I love about it. These things are just kind of hanging out. That's hilarious. <laughs> Is that your a framed jersey of yours up there on the wall? Oh no, I'm not that fancy. Uh-uh. <laughs> that is um. So when my husband and I got married, so we went to WSU. Oh, okay. And, um. So our last name is Shoal. We got married in 17, and instead of having like a guest book, we had people sign a jersey. Oh, that's so Very cool. cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, oh my god, so- I keep like floating in and out of the picture here. It's so weird. <laughs> Tim's the- got like this whole crazy setup. He's like, you know, Mr. Pro- professional Mr. now. With I- the backgrounds. It's so good to see you. I was just telling Tim the other day when he said he was going to have you on, I'm like, Oh my God, I have got to say hi to Kelly. I know. Because I so remember when you were just a tiny little girl and I told him this story about how my um, most vivid memory of you. And I don't even know like in what context this came up was just you saying, well, my mom told me that I'm special. So I know I can do anything. And I was just like, that girl is a badass. She is going places. Oh, so here yeah. you are now, like Miss Famous Anchor. Whoa. Well, and I'm not at all surprised. Early dose of confidence from Mama Koopmans. Thank you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You can thank her. You can let her know. It's be like, my soccer coach totally remembers you. <laughs> That's so great. Well, it's so great to see you too. I just, I remember both of you I mean, so clearly that it almost seems like it wasn't that long ago that it seems silly to say. It it wasn't that long ago, Kelly. We're still as young as we, as we were. You look exactly the same. So do we. Yeah. (laughs) When do you graduate high school? I graduated in 2004. Okay. No, when are you going to? Where are you going to graduate? (laughs) What? In a couple of years, I'm working my way toward it. I'm just getting ready for tryouts for the soccer team. And I really hope varsity. Have you been running? (laughs) right that's what I was going to say one of my most vivid memories I feel like is Timothy telling us we had to go run around the lid and then run around the bridge (laughs) that is what I remember I don't want to run across the bridge (laughs) it's going to be such a long run running around the opposite side of the soccer field up the hill past the tanks down around back (laughs) Hey, I just wish I could do that myself now. Okay, I, mean, I gotta run. I gotta go. Okay, to nice work. But so good to see you. You guys have fun. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye. Oh, that's no. You meant to say the psychological, the tactical, the technical. <laughs> <laughs> right, the that's game. what I meant to say. Yeah. The game awareness, not that. Hey, coach always made me run, but right, sure, that too. I personally live in Happy Land, so all the bad memories. People bring them up. I'm like, yeah, don't, 
don't register with me. <laughs> yeah. The two knee braces? I don't remember those. What girl <laughs> All right, Kelly. We're going deep. <laughs> I remember you having legs up to your neck and having the knee braces as a young girl. And um, check your phone. Okay. Oh, here we go. Okay. Okay. Oh, my gosh. The knee braces. <laughs> there they are. There they are in all their neoprene glory. <laughs> You'd be like uh, Mary Hart from uh, e-, e Entertainment or E Tonight, whatever that show was. Yeah. She was the first lady t- that was on the news that uh, insured oh her legs for a million dollars because she ran so much. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is great. Yep. Lynn Koopmans, once again, shout yeah. out to her. She's getting she's getting a lot of love here today. One yeah, thing she should. That- one thing that I want to say about the soccer days while I have you here is I don't, I don't necessarily think I wasn't the greatest soccer player of all time, uh, Hush. but, but any, I think that any confidence that I did get through it in terms of trying to be a leader and confidence that like, you know, at least I'm, I'm in kind of the right spot here really came from you. And I would say, you know, you were the best, best coach that I had and created nothing but just good memories and we're encouraging and I'm so glad that so many other kids have been able to benefit through that throughout the years. So uh, just wanted to make sure I gave you that shout out. Thank you for the people on audio. Um, I'm not tearing up. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks Kelly. Uh, What was your take on Chaz and Chaz and Chop? Um, That's another thing we were talking about how you were cutting down things for 30 seconds and the news is a half hour and stuff. Just on my Facebook page, I had linked into a Twitch feed from somebody else that had set up seven cameras that streamed chop for four days, 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So you could see exactly what was going on. And then I would go and look at a photo in CNN or Fox about the autonomous zone um, I also was actively taking my mom up to the hospital at that time. Uh, worked at Garfield High School for a long time, so I had a good connection with Seattle U. I saw when the the park went in there. I was just devastated on how it just got trashed. I mean, it was a running it's a soccer park. It was a place where Seattle U students came and gathered. Um, it was a very awesome space. And then it just was destroyed like overnight. And the national, you know, media didn't seem to match up what I was watching in my live feed or even the times that I walked through there. Mm -hmm. How did you see it? And was there any directive to, excuse me, to report one way or another? Um, no, there wasn't, which is, which is great. Um, you know, it was kind of go up there and see what's going on. Uh, I personally, things ended up getting dangerous for reporters yeah. to be up there and reporters are specifically targeted. So we were sure the number of crews that we would send up there, what time of day people would be up there. They would keep some of their distance. Um, Personally, my husband and I were on a softball team and we used to play at Cal Anderson Park all the time. So watching the whole situation deteriorate from 
what initially in the very beginning seemed like a place where people were gathering to express Black Lives Matter and have this outlet for activism and um, various different works of art, it, it clearly deteriorated into a deadly, dangerous situation. There weren't, you know, there were shooting deaths, there were people who were killed, people who committed suicide, rampant drugs. Um, and it turned into a very difficult situation and the city trying to figure out the best way to do it. And, um, you know, it, it created a situation that people had never been in before. And it felt like one of those things you were watching, like, what is, what is the tipping point? At what point, does this go away? Who's winning here? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it was very complicated. And I think you can look at it from a lot of different angles and see a lot of different things. And it, it wasn't cut and dry. Like, um, you know, the entire chop Chaz experience was a hundred percent horrible or mm-hmm. that it was great because it clearly was not the summer of love that Jenny Durkin had initially called for and said that, Maybe even if she was being facetious about it, it clearly that did not come to fruition. So um, it was definitely something that you just slowly watched deteriorate day after day. And then it came to that culmination where they came through and um, they did the sweep where they cleared the chop at that point and then reclaimed the police precinct. But even after that, I mean, there were still weeks where people were occupying the park up until you know, my, my sense of time is all out of whack right now, but not until too recently where police went yeah. through and finally swept the park. We went uh, after my son's soccer game Saturday and checked it out and got some Dick's Burgers on Broadway. Shout out to them. Thank you very much. Delicious. Still, I, I, I don't eat red meat much, but if I ever get to the city, I got to eat Dick's. Yeah. <laughs> you get fries in the milkshake? Are you one of those people? Not the fries. Mm-hmm. Fries are a little too greasy for me. Oh. A deluxe and a chocolate shake, and uh, maybe I get it down. A <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, funny story. I met Ron Jeremy in line at Dick's on Broadway. Oh, The nice. porn star yeah. getting a Dick's burger. It only <laughs> makes sense. Um, back to Chop and Chaz. Oh, anyway, the park looked much improved mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, there was such a mass exodus of police and the police department and city council had already had it up to their eyebrows with each other for years coming. And then the pandemic hits as well. And, and then this autonomous zone Como's right near the space needle and I was t- I lived for 15 years, two blocks from there on First and Broad. And Seattle's always been, you know, 206 for life, Queen City, Emerald City, Jet City, <laughs> you know, everything. I used to go down there and play play soccer in the in the park, which is now the sculpture park right. and down there. And Seattle um decided to become this massive city with boring the tunnel and redoing the waterfront and the pandemic hits, big Bertha gets stuck. Docks are falling apart at the waterfront. Stores are being shuttered. Thomas Douglas, one of the best restaurateurs shuts 49 out of 50 restaurants. 
the city is overwhelmed with mental illness, drug use, tents. Your your buddy there, Eric Johnson at Como, did a good documentary piece on Seattle's dying and then a follow-up. And I know there's been a lot of controversy regarding those films and such. Mm-hmm. As a Seattleite yourself, mm-hmm. what are my how's, this, how's this city going to recover to be the great, beautiful thing that it was um, back in the day? Well, I mean, how they do it, you know, if I had if I had the answers to that, I mean, hopefully I'd be in government or something to just give it the cure all. But you mentioned Eric Johnson's piece there, the, um, the fight for the soul of Seattle. And I think that one thing Seattle has tried to do is be compassionate to people who are experiencing homelessness, mental illness, drug addiction. But one thing that stuck with me that he was talking about in that documentary was that, you know, in some cases the city is loving people to death, Um, and so it's trying to come up with a way to address what's going on without enabling an issue, um, from getting even further out of control. I mean, we are, if you go, if you go downtown, which a lot of people don't, don't do anymore. And a lot of people who always said they would never leave downtown Seattle, they love their condo downtown Mm -hmm. are looking to, to move out. Everything's shuttered. Um, and you know, clearly it's a, it's a combination of factors between COVID and, you know, uh, homelessness and drug abuse and mental illness was all a big problem before the pandemic. Um, So it's this confluence of things that have all happened in this particularly 2020 that really just dealt, dealt the knockout punch, you know? And, and when you go down there, it just, it doesn't, doesn't feel the same. No, no. And, and, you know, it's going to take a lot of, it's going to take a lot of time and people coming up with the right policies to try and crawl back out of it. And I don't know how you do that. And there are people out there who I'm sure are far smarter than I am in, in civics and coming up with a way to bring the city back to life. But the first thing we net right now is getting this pandemic under control so the business can start to come back um, to hopefully bring people so, you know, it's this whole chain reaction that just, you know, that clearly the city is just in complete disarray right now. Hey, um, I recall you covered the Academy Awards and got all dolled up and dressed up. Um, I have a like a, a circular light here, but I don't have a, a makeup team and all that stuff. But I recall that you had some money dropped on you. A dress, your hair, your makeup, you got to go to the red carpet. What was that like? Uh, that was pretty amazing. They, we tried to make it happen for a couple of years. So I did it three years in a row. So I think it was 2016, 2017, 2018. And, um, we were trying to make it happen. We had never sent someone to the Academy Awards before, so we didn't really know how it all works. So Mm -hmm. they send me one year and they're like, okay, go. And it was like, okay, we'll, we'll just kind of wing it and figure out, figure out how the red carpet works. And there's so much to it that eventually you learn kind of the vibe and the best way to get where you need to be on the red carpet and all this stuff. Um, but it was, it was fun. I think we were talking about the, the money getting dropped. We did a piece where we went to this local jeweler who, uh, was pretty fancy and they just, they just kind of, <laughs> 
dolled me up and let me play around with some fancy jewels for a while. Um, but when you do go down there and one common misconception that people ask all the time is who does your hair and makeup? Mm. We're not like the fancy people at network news like ABC News, NBC, CBS, who have people who do it for them. So we we do it ourselves. And uh, so Oscar morning, I, uh, you know, got that rent the runway dress <laughs> and uh, did my hair the best I possibly could and make up the best I could and pop down on the red carpet. But those experiences were were awesome. Those those three those three Academy Awards were were pretty epic. Was there any um, funny things that happened or was anybody obnoxiously rude or <laughs> did anybody treat you super special? Um, well, in terms of celebrities, yeah. I would say the best was, um, and his name is escaping me at this moment, but you'll remember one year where they announced that La La Land had won the Academy Award and then they were like, oops, actually, yeah. <laughs> it's not oh. that it goes to moonlight um so the next year the producer of la la land who went up and accepted the award and said just kidding it's not us this belongs to you uh was walking down and it happened to be at the same time that i was on the carpet so i got to get him and he was he was super gracious but it felt like this moment of being like are you hopeful this year? You just get <laughs> and he said the nerves of last year, you know, are kind of gone. But but that was good because it was such a big moment from the year before um, seeing that happen. But no, people are generally gracious. It's very much a a quick experience on the red carpet. You're slated for a few minutes to actually be in your position, and so it's just kind of like rolling the dice of who walks by in the. 10 minutes that you are on the red carpet. Other than those 10 minutes, you're kind of two rows up so you can get pictures and video. Um, but usually you have 10 minutes worth of time where you're right there where you can just kind of grab whoever walks by. So we had a, we had JLo come by. We had Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga come when they were up for, for their film. Um, Was that embarrassing when Bradley Cooper reached over and kissed you? You know, not even embarrassing. My husband was totally cool with it because he said, I realize this is probably a lifelong dream of yours, Kelly, so go for it. So not embarrassing <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> you cracked me up. Hey, um, I got a couple of uh, Patreon questions for you. Are you familiar with Patreon? No. It's a creator's page. It's kind of a social site where you can text drop an audio, a video, you as a listener to the show can talk with other listeners, support the show with different tiers. And then you get behind the scenes content like us talking right now, because I'm not really a video guy, because that's more editing than I don't care for. <laughs> but uh, I solicited a couple um, people to ask questions for you. And I got a whopping number of two. Okay. <laughs> Here they come. First one, um, and I'm going to shout out his business too, and he was a, a former guest, Billy O'Neill at Glass Eye Studio, which is the first glass blowing studio in the Pike Place market, and it's a 50,000 square foot place in Ballard now. Um, he used to be the president of Chihuly Glass. and That's his got married. Yeah, I saw the pictures, man. Who Ooh. was your photographer? Let's shout that person out right now. Angela Carlisle. 
Angela Carlisle. Shout out to you. <laughs> yeah. But shout out to Chihuly. I mean, that place is just, Dale Chihuly's works are just so gorgeous. We're lucky. Definitely. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Crazy story. I, yeah, I know him from my wife and from Billy and soccer, of course. Um, and Dale's son played soccer for a bit. Oh, nice. It's all related to Seattle and soccer. Yes. Everybody I know. <laughs> um, but Billy asks, how do you keep your teeth so white? Oh, well, that's very kind of him. I, I go to the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dental insurance? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I haven't. When I was in college, I tried doing those teeth whiteners and mm-hmm. they hurt. I think I just have I really, it. I have really sensitive teeth. Like I, you know, people can bite into ice cream. I'm not, I'm not one of those lucky bunch. So um, I can't bleach them or anything. That's just, that's just not my jam. So uh, I don't know. I brush them. And I've lost. <laughs> uh, thank you. You've always had straight teeth ever since you were a little kid. I don't even recall you having braces. Did I you? Did, I didn't have braces. I have one of those little built-in retainers down here. Yeah. Um, but I, w- I managed to escape the braces as a kid. So thank My you. Li- <laughs> yes. Appreciate it. Another shout out to Lynn Koopmans again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should give yeah. dad some love too, right? David yes. Koopman, he's behind it too. Yes. Good genes all around. Um, little man just got four teeth pulled over um, the break and he's got one of those big metal spacers. Yeah. And his voice is changing and he didn't pronunciate or articulate like I liked in the first place. And now I'm getting old and I can't hear. Oh, God. <laughs> Is all I get right now, but how old is he? 13. 13. Okay. Yep. Sounds I about hope, right. I hope um, his teeth follow your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Another question we got from Jeff Cockins, who used to be on the board of Pike Place Market. He wrote in, Why is there such a concentration or dominance? And I'm paraphrasing here. Como's coverage of weather and traffic. Hmm. Well, Why is that so dominant part of the news, whether it be on radio and TV all the time? When there's so many things going on in Seattle that we could, and I wanted to talk about investigative journalism after this, and I know you have a background in that. Why do you think that dominates? Well, traffic-wise, particularly in the morning, yes, we do put an emphasis on on weather and traffic. People are just kind of starting their day, so they want to know what the landscape is of what they're going out. Get the Waze app. (laughs) No, you know, yep. I would say that people can use the Waze app, and also we've we've incorporated Waze into our own coverage. We haven't Uh, done it as much lately, but um, you know, in recent times, we've we've incorporated that into our coverage. you know, I think that we've just, it's, it's part of the morning formula of people wanting to know what the roads look like. And, uh, the thing is, is that people don't care about traffic until they really care about their street. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, you know, for every little thing we do, we do mention in the morning, that is someone's commute that is, that is affecting them. Granted, it's been different this year because people are working from home. Uh, there isn't quite as much action out on the roads as we would typically see. Um, but weather, weather drives 
so much of what we do. You know, are you going to, how are you going to dress your kid that day? It, no, no, stop, Kelly. But, <laughs> there's no, people will call them umbrellas. No, there's no bumper shoots allowed. Otherwise, okay. we know you're a tourist. Do not hold a map up in your face. <laughs> Otherwise, yes. we know you're a tourist. Yes. And we know and we can count on the weather being partly cloudy, chance of sun or rain, moderate temperature every day of the year. <laughs> every day of the year. Interesting that you say that because we're about to go down into the 20 degree temperatures, which it, is something that we haven't seen at all this season yet. So yeah. And what we're, we're, we're six weeks into the year, <laughs> but what I will say, at least from my own personal experience and what we hear from people is that I want to know when my kid comes home from school What's our afternoon looking like? Are we are we doing mm -hmm. some outdoors activity where we're wearing our entire wetsuit, or is this something where we can go and play around on the bike and you know without worries of her slipping and sliding, whatever? Uh, it, it, I would just say there's there's an emphasis on weather because people want to plan plan their day. Yeah, people go with the layered look. Go with the layers. Yes. A hoodie, a vest, a raincoat that's just a shell, you know. Let's move yeah. on. Let's get going. Let's go, yep. Do you, okay, do you think there's a, actually a Seattle freeze? Because I feel like Seattle is one of the nicest places in the world to live. I will say we get a lot of people who move in from out of town just in news biz business. People come from different cities all around the country. And a lot of them will say that there is there is a Seattle freeze. Uh, you know, Leave it. personally, I haven't experienced it because I'm, I'm in the belly of the beast. Um, but, the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> but knowing, knowing that people have that stereotype makes me actively want to fight it and be proactively kind and inclusive to people when they, when they first move here. So I'm not saying that I'm, I'm perfect, but by any means, but it's something that that I try to do You're conscious of it. I'm conscious of trying to fight that stereotype. Yes. Right. Where does investigative journalism have a place in everyday news? Cause yes, there's a documentary here and there or a special on, um, it, is that guy, Jesse, is he on Como? He's on, on Cairo. Okay. Yeah. So, there's, you know, consumer reports people, there's investigative reporters that may have a, a special here and there. Eric has done a tremendous job in his special reports. Yeah. Where does it fit in as a daily piece? Like we're looking into this news to follow tomorrow. We'll follow up in, until we get the whole story. It seems like there's between the weather and traffic, there's the national narrative and then two or three quick little local pieces and the news is like 22 minutes and then there's commercials for, and it's a 30 minute show. Mm -hmm. I want to extract quality where maybe I can put my resources or time in to help, help people. And of course it, it seems like the same. Okay. It's a new holiday. Okay. It's Christmas. It's toys for tots. It's just kind of going through the motions. Where's investigative reporting and journalism fit in? Well, one thing I'll say first about the half hour news is that what I feel lucky enough to be part of is that we have a two and a half hour block in the morning 
we have the biggest consecutive chunk of time in the morning to present stories. And yes, there is some national stuff in there. There's traffic, there's weather. Um, But we always are focused on local first. Um, You know, on maybe on a day where there is an inauguration nationally, or we have a president impeached for the second time in history, we will have heavier national coverage. Um, but we do always try and lead locally because we know we are local news. That's what we can do that the national people cannot. Um, so that's just touching on, on the local stuff. Investigative journalism, I think is, is so critical. And, and really, you know, when you look at newspapers, newspapers are some of the ones that really break some of those biggest stories that then launch onto the national national stage, you know, local papers digging into various things. And I would say sometimes it can be more difficult being a visual medium that often requires people mm-hmm. speaking on camera and getting people in front of you. Um, it can be a little more difficult. So that's one place where I think newspapers really can shine. I know that newsrooms though, and one thing that I'll say is great is that Como has has granted the time to people like Eric and in other different other reporters. Right. I just mean to single him out, but to take months and months and months to put we'll together these yeah. larger pieces. But at the same time, we do have uh, accountability is something that we aim for in every single newscast. Every single story is, you know, holding people accountable to what they said before. So while it may seem like a shorter version of little investigations, it is something that people are conscious of every single day and working into our local coverage. We used to have a larger investigative team and, um, you know, we don't have that anymore. So it comes down to finding ways to work that investigative accountability journalism into your everyday coverage. Since Trump has been in office and there's so many more people on the internet. Has the news cycle shortened for you guys? Um, like how long does the story really last anymore? Well, I guess it depends. It depends what you're, what you're talking about. I think we learned a certain rhythm with the Trump administration. If, if there was something that we were focused on that, and when I say we, I, again, I'm going to, I'm going to knock it up to, to the national level, um, because we're not the ones interviewing interviewing Trump. We focus locally. Yes, we do touch on national stuff that comes down through ABC. But um, you know, I think there was a period there where uh, the administration could pivot very quickly to focus on something else, and um, sometimes say it in such a salacious manner that uh, you know made it very distracting to stay on on point and whether or not that's done intentionally, you know, people can, can look at that themselves, but uh, you know, in terms of of news coverage and you you look at COVID COVID has been the story for the last year and digging into every little Avenue. So yes, we news can have short attention spans, but at the same time, when it's also calling for it, you know, when you're looking at the pandemic, for example, of really digging in every single day and uncovering the new angle for that morning. Newspapers are kind of dying and there's so many more news outlets and news feeds on your phone and stuff. Um, is money getting tight in the news industry? Um, I, you know, I can't speak for newspaper sides, but I think that's been the 
the larger narrative recently is that staffs have had to cut down. People have had to, you know, I mentioned like we don't have our investigative department anymore, which was a decision that um, came up down. Um, So you kind of work with what you can. I will say right now, I don't, I don't feel like our station feels too hamstringed. Uh, You know, I can't speak exactly on the, on the finances, but but I feel like we are able to get the job done that we need to. Uh, sure, if you had more resources, you can always do more. Yeah. Uh, but I don't. I don't feel like it is rapidly diminishing to a noticeable degree. Still have the helicopter. Uh, we share. We share the. We share the helicopter between stations right now. Um, have you ridden in the helicopter? Um. No. No, I have did not. Did you take a flight with the Blue Angels? Uh, I did take a flight with a stunt. <laughs> a stunt man? <laughs> with, a, with a stunt plane. The Blue Angel is still on my to-do list, but... Uh, not it was- mine. <laughs> no. <laughs> it would be the, the Dick's hamburgers that maybe would not sit so well with you doing... That would be a good commercial right there. Fly <laughs> um, Blue but- Angels and enjoy Dick's on your flight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And everyone else can enjoy it too when it goes flying. Um, but I always like those kind of adrenaline rush things. Those are those are always fun. That's for okay. Sure. What else I got for you? Um, when you were in New York, how did you feel Bloomberg did as the mayor? Was he somebody that excited you? Didn't pay much attention to him. I would. I didn't pay too much attention to him specifically. Uh, you know, we were kind of shooting things and trying to, you know, learn how to edit and mix audio. You know, I went to, I went to a ping pong tournament, I think for my first radio piece. And it was just the basics of trying to capture sound. I did do um, a piece about how the city was expanding uh, bike lanes and really making the largest network of bike lanes in New York city, you know, and, not the world, but modeling it after Europe and then contrasting that with some people who um, had loved ones who had died because they didn't feel like bike lanes had protected them enough or they were forced onto the streets because there weren't enough bike lanes. So that was kind of the most I looked at at the city itself. Um, but in terms of Bloomberg, I wasn't really I wasn't really tuned into him. Yeah, li- living here on beautiful Bainbridge Island, we have a huge biking committee. Uh, community and then we have a event that cascade bicycle club sends thousands and thousands of people over for a 32 mile chilly hilly um Mm -hmm. ride in march (laughs) let me segue real quick i had a a girls soccer team when i first moved here and i had 12 players and it was sleeting rain sideways and it was right around 32 degrees and it was the day of the chilly hilly and this girl was playing and she just collapsed in the worst weather. Mm. And it was late in the second half. And I was like, what, what's going on? She's like, my legs are just dead and I'm freezing. And I was like, why you usually really, really fit. And she's like, well, I did the chilly hilly to warm up for the game. And then she played like 80 minutes and then her legs just went. (laughs) I was like, that was my first introduction in Chili Hilly. 
But um, the constant fight about the width, the sidewalks, the bicycle lanes, the, hey, bicyclists should have a license and and pay a tab fee if they're going to share the roads that the tabs on the cars pay for. And I was surprised, you know, I moved to this nice little island and I pretty much get around on my electric bike. And when I was in Seattle, um, transportation was always kind of walking. And at most, you know, I'd head over to Mercer Island over the bridge, you know, and that that's a quick little zip. Um, so I had, I'd had no idea that there was a division of anti-bicyclist crowd <laughs> that basically think bicyclists are Nazis. And then all this drama in trying to get legislation and city planning to get lanes, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's a, that's a huge argument. Yeah. And we've had, we've had some of that here locally. I'm in uh, Northeast Seattle and on 35th, which is like a main thoroughfare that goes through here, there is, uh, you know, proposals of putting in this bike lane, but a lot of the businesses there who don't have parking around them, you know, were worried about customers not being able to access them. And it, it created quite, quite the firestorm. <laughs> so it really, you know, something as simple as people trying to get around town, whether it's by four wheels or two, turns into a very contentious issue for businesses, for commuters. It's It's got a lot of different angles to it. Okay, I'm probably taking up too much of your time and um, you got to go to sleep soon. <laughs> That's all I think about with you anymore. Uh, sun's about down. Kelly needs to go to sleep. Um, and you got that lovely daughter to get back to as well. Um, when you first started out, and I'm about two and a half years into this podcasting, only a hundred some episodes. So this is something I, I wanted to learn more about other people and become a better communicator because I thought I was a poor communicator. So I set, set aside an hour a week to talk to somebody and really sit down and listen. When I started this, I was devastated. And it was two reasons why. One, seeing myself on film. <laughs> Second, hearing my voice. Oh, that's always hard. Was that hard for you at all? I don't... I. I do not like watching myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like listening or watching myself. And it's not because I'm like ashamed of what I do or anything, but you know, some it's, people it's like with some actors, some actors are able to go and watch their own movies and others just opt not to. Cause they yeah, never saw them to hear themselves. <laughs> um, and I, I kind of fall into that, that later crowd. Well, you look lovely on TV. I got to say that when I hear you on the radio, mm-hmm. you don't sound like my friend. You sound <laughs> like something, some other person that's very good at voice stuff, right? But I don't immediately pick up, hey, that's Kelly. Sure. So that was kind of hard for me to to figure out at first. but uh, Yeah, and I, I've heard that from a couple of people. I think that there's just, there's something different from, you It's know, serious. It is serious <laughs> when you're talking about, you know, this morning yeah. we had this, this horrible shooting and, you know, a couple of people died and it was an officer involved shooting. And that's not something that, you know, you have so much levity in, in your voice about. So sometimes people are like, you sound so serious. It's like, well, it is serious. Yeah. You know, 
catch me at the at the Super Bowl or or at the Oscars and maybe I'll have a little more levity. But sometimes the stuff we're talking about is, is quite serious. Yeah, I always picture you speaking with a, a, a smirk and a little bit of laughter in your voice. And that's the Kelly I remember for sure. Yep. Well, All right, Coop. Thanks for your time. Hey, my pleasure. And I say just uh, what I think is great is that you said you wanted to just listen. And I think that that's something that we all need to do more of. There's power in listening. I had someone just ask, you know, how do you conduct a good interview? And you ask the question, but then you have to listen and listen intently to the cues that those people are laying down. And if you hear that little thing like, oh, that word was said kind of funny, you know, that could lead you down the other path of talking about that next layer that goes, goes deeper. So I think, you know, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts and just here today, you're, you're doing a great job. You're doing a bang up job, coach Timothy. (laughs) I can't believe you listen. Thank you. I appreciate that. My pleasure. Maybe you can come on and be a patron member. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly, give much love to your, your sister, your husband, Michael, your baby daughter, Riley, um, everybody and uh keep doing what you do i appreciate you i'm going to be watching como news as my go-to and i already have but uh, just let that be known we're there for you starting at 4 30 in the morning (laughs) you get up at two yeah and then you drive in yep drive in usually i'm there by i'm there by three but it comes down to the minute you know if you're brushing your teeth past 220, you know you're running behind. So you got to speed up the hair drying process or the toast process. It's very, very much down to down to the minute. Um, three. <laughs> what's your caffeine habit like? Well, now that I'm pregnant, I don't really, not really have the caffeine, but it usually would be my go-to in the morning. I want a piece of toast with a lot of butter on it and the butter has got to go touching all the edges. I don't give me the dry toast. And then I get that cup of coffee when I'm sitting there reading through scripts. Um, and then one cup when the show starts that I kind of water that one down and add a little creamer to it to give myself a little treat. But that's, that's normally. Right now, I'm not really, not really on the caffeine train. All right, all right. Maybe a little green tea. Keep Something it, like that, yeah. Keep it cool. Yep. All right. Um, if I'm ever awake at three o'clock, I'm going to swing by and say hi. <laughs> All right. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to Kelly Koopman's from Como for news and everybody out there. If you like the show, tell a friend, be kind. You've been listening to the bystander podcast. Thanks, Kel. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good... Yeah. And um, stay in touch. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Take care. Take care.